What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Syndicate Podcast. Today, I have none other than my business partner and one of my best friends, Cardinal Mason. You guys probably know him on Twitter from the meme standing in the street as the co-founder of Cashflow Syndicate, and I am incredibly excited to finally have him on. I don't know why we haven't done this sooner. It's good to see you, my friend. It's not like we talk every second of every day about everything, <laughs> but... It's good to have you here. I'm excited for this episode because people are going to get to see a side of you, I think. And I don't, for anyone new who's listening, I don't plan a single question for this, this podcast. And we're going to get deep, probably. We're going to run it for about an hour and a half, probably around two hours. But that being said, I'm super excited to have you on here, man. It's good to see you. Congratulations on uh, the new house. You moved into a new house. You're a suburban Thank boy you. now. You got a lot of bedrooms for all your wives or future wives. So welcome, man. It's good to have you on. Dude, it's great to be here, man. I'm uh, I'm not only, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of your podcast. There's been a couple episodes that I have listened to and like just gain respect for you all over again. Like I already have respect for you, but like the the way you run your podcast is very interesting. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this, bro. This I appreciate cool. that. I appreciate that. So let me give you a little bit of an introduction to how me and Mason actually met. So we both kind of started on Twitter, really on kind of around the same time. And that was, I want to say August or September of last year of 2021. And we actually met through one of Luke Alexander's Twitter spaces, just talking shit, right? And there's a group of guys that I can say, like, we all came up together. And I know Goldie isn't really affiliated with you know, the whole money Twitter space, but it's, it was me, you, Ben, Luke, Swales, a couple other guys who came up as well. Like kind of in this, like, I kind of think of it as like a pledge class, like fraternity a little bit, um, yeah. graduating class, whatever it is, but we kind of all came up around the same time. And when you and I met, we had about probably just, we had just both passed, I think a thousand Twitter followers. And that's when Twitter had originally released spaces and you and I would just get on spaces and talk shit and answer people's questions about sales, about copywriting, about business, about everything that it is we knew. We would literally run like mock sales calls and stuff for like six, seven hours. I remember we did one for eight and a half hours straight. And that's how we initially grew both of our followings. And I remember us talking about email originally, and, and I put a group chat together with a bunch of like the guys who I knew were doing email marketing. And I said, hey, like we should just use this group chat to share ideas. And I think three days later after that, I gave you a call and I said, hey, we should do something where we create a community where we can answer people's questions. And that was the initiation. That was the founding meeting of, of what is now the juggernaut that is Cashflow Syndicate. So, and then it's crazy to think that that was October. Uh, we started that, I think, late September and October of 2021 is when we originally launched. And we've been in business ever since, and we've created a massive community. We've created a massive movement and culture around Cashflow Syndicate, and we're, we're changing lives, man. And I have so much respect and I have so much love for you, not only as a, a business partner, but as a, as a very good friend and, a, and as a best friend of mine, as a brother. And, you know, we've, we've done some crazy shit. So we're not going to really talk about business. Like if you guys want to listen to me and Mason talk about business, you go sign up for Cashflow Syndicate and you got like 150 hours of content surrounding that. We're just going to talk shit. We're going to do our thing. 
And like I said, I'm excited to have you here. And that's a little bit of an introduction on, on who Mason is. I mean, regardless, like he's done some copy, a little bit of copywriting sales. I think it's like 21, 22 million, something like that. You know, <laughs> not, not that much, obviously. And if you guys can't tell, I'm fucking joking. But excited to have you here. And I want to talk about your origin story, not your origin story in copywriting. I want to talk about when you were running Caesar salads to tables three years ago when you were and happy birthday, happy belated birthday, you're not 23 years old. When you were 20 years old, I want to talk about 20 year old Mason. What was he doing? What was his life looking like? You were in college at the time. I know you changed schools a bunch of times. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, dude, I never changed schools, but I did drop out twice. Um, but that's, that's interesting. No one's ever asked about like where, where, where I started kind of before even business was a thing. Um, but that's a great question. So every job I've ever had, I've always had a bit of an ego because I always thought that, and this is like not necessarily a good thing, but I always thought that I was a little bit smarter and had more potential than every single person that I was working with at every job that I had. Not so much in the last few years when I started working with legitimate, like smart, driven people. But I had a number of serving jobs. I was always like front facing, fast food, doing something. And I would just like, I, at first I, I had to find an outlet for what that was. Like that ego where like, I think I was just kind of born with that. I think my parents were just like, they hyped me up a little bit too much. And so that's where that came from. Um, but like at first I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so that was where I, you know, started directing a lot of my energy and my like potential and my like internal value where I was like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer one day for sure. And then I took a big ego hit when um, I was talking to one of the smartest dude. I joined the debate team when I was 19. It was like a, uh, my third semester of, of university. And I joined the debate team because I wanted some more uh, friends in, in like the philosophy, political science world that I was in. Cause I really liked it when I was, when I was doing that at the time. And I talked to this guy and his name was Nick and um, I was terrible at debate team. I just couldn't think on my feet that fast. Uh, but this kid, Nick, he was like this little Asian kid and he was like the smartest dude I've ever heard speak like very articulate. And he could think fast, like fast, fast. And I was like, I looked up to him. He was a couple years older than me. And he told me that he was looking to get into law as well. And I was like, oh, cool. Did you do your like practice LSAT? He's like, yeah, I failed that shit. And I was like, oh. And then so a couple things happened after that where I was like, maybe I'm not going to be a lawyer. And I just like, I think now with the mindset that I have, I maybe would have looked back on that a little bit differently where I, maybe I wouldn't have used that as an excuse to not pursue that because I still think that like, for what I actually wanted at the time, which was status and respect and admiration and money, being a lawyer would have been a, a perfectly fine vehicle for that to happen. But I was shaken by that and I was like, okay, I need to find a new thing. And that's around the time where I started discovering freelance copywriting. I want to go back, not to cut you off, but I want to go back before that. Okay. Before, before you what? were on the debate team, before you, and this is something that not a lot of people know about you that I know about. I want to talk about music because both you and I, when we were younger, thought that we were going to be musicians. Yes. And I want to talk about music. 
And okay. I want to go originally back to, and, and I think something that you said here was very interesting that you said your parents may have hyped you up a little bit too much. <laughs> and I completely disagree. I think the best thing for a parent to do is instill unshakable self-esteem in their children. And I don't really know, you know, what the demographic is of, of the listener, but like when you guys have kids, you know, guys and girls who listen to this podcast, when you have kids, don't fuck them up instill unshakable confidence, unshakable self-esteem in the first seven to 10 years of life. And your children are always going to be okay, no matter what they do. But I want to go back and I want to talk about when you were 17 and when you were on tour of Canada playing rock and roll. I wouldn't say I was on tour, but I did a lot of gig work back then. And it was really exciting. And I honestly thought I was going to be a fucking superstar. That goes back a little further, actually, where um, I was like 14 and I actually met a guy who I'm still friends with, uh, like, like very, very close friends with today, who was, um, kind of doing what I wanted to do in music because I w I've been playing guitar since I was seven. And I started doing session work when I was like 13 or 14, like young, young. And I, I, I can actually send you songs that I played on in the studio. I was a fucking, I was in, I was in like grade eight or something like that eighth grade for you Americans, but in Canada, we say grade eight. And I was in the studio with dudes who were like in their early thirties playing on their songs. And I started to like talk to these dudes and um, I was just happy to be in the room. So I was kind of taking up as much of their like bandwidth as they would give me. And so I asked a lot of questions. I was a curious kid about like how the music industry works and like how, like what's the difference between master and publishing? And like, you know, what's sync licensing and what's all this stuff that like you can use to monetize your music. And like, how do you get on like a billboard list? Like, how the fuck does that happen? And so I just always ask a lot of questions. And then I met this one guy. Um, I, I don't know. He's definitely going to listen to this, but I don't want to name names. He knows who he is. Um, he was like my first mentor where, yeah, I was like 14 or 15. And I started hanging out with this guy and he was like, so close to making it big like so close he like he was a he had the look he had the sound he was talented as fuck he still is talented as fuck like um but he he was doing something that i wanted to do he was like in the spotlight so i looked up to him and i asked him i was like dude like i want to do what you do like i want to be a musician um and because like i could write songs i could kind of sing i don't really sing anymore but I could accompany myself, obviously, because I was playing guitar. And like, that was like my first real passion. It's so funny you bring that up because I've been, I just saw John Mayer in concert a week ago. And uh, it kind of like shook me where I realized, like, I kind of forgot how much I used to love music and how, mu how, how much of a huge part it played in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of missed that. Um, so back, back to the story real quick, like this, this guy that I looked up to ended up getting fucked every which way by like two different labels. Um, his career was about to take off. Like he was about to be like a Sean Mendez type, or maybe, maybe like, uh, he was a little edgier. So maybe like an edgy Sean Mendez, he was about to blow. And then, um, it kind of cooled down, but we like kept working together on music uh, for years after that, like into my twenties and, um, just a bunch of projects. And it's just like always been something that I loved. And so, um, 
I think if my, like my dad is more traditional and like, I don't think that's a bad thing at all because like now that I'm getting older, I think the same way he does. Um, but when I told him like, Hey dad, like I was 15, I was like, Hey dad, like, I think I want to try music. Like, I don't know if I want to go to school. I think I want to just try and do music. Um, he was like, yeah, no, like, you're going to have to find a way like to make money. If you're going to do that, I'm like, music will make me money. He's like, no, it won't. And like, looking back, I know that he was right. But if I took my brain right now and put it into that body with that talent and like actually tried, I think it would probably work. And I tell people sometimes like, after I'm done with like all the business stuff that I have going on now, like let's say in like the next five years, I think that I would, I might pursue music. Like I actually might just try and go for it. Like I'll have capital. I'll have the business knowledge, the marketing knowledge, and I'll still know how to play guitar. That's something that never goes away. Like I actually, what's really interesting is like, and and I want to bring this back to a larger point is that you and I are both, we both started probably playing around the same age, right? And we're Over you. I was, I was technically, I was like, I think three, but I really started playing. I remember I heard since I've been loving you from the Madison Square Garden concert, the live Zeppelin recording. And I saw, and I remember watching the, the video with my dad, I think it was about four or five years old. And I said, I want to do that. And what's interesting is about you and I, and this is a conversation that we had when we were down in Playa del Carmen, Mexico was you and I are both creatives at heart for sure nature of the creative soul is to create right we're not analytics guys we might be marketers now like by trade and like business guys by trade now but we're still creatives at the end of the day and that's something that never never ever is going to go away and we will always find a way because where we feel in our purest form in our purest flow is when we're creating when we're building right creatives are the builders of society right and you and i are very unique and very rare and anomalies in the sense that we're able to do both right you and i are able to be massively creative individuals but also have the intelligence and the iq and the balls to execute on the creative ideas and i think those two attributes combined, those two abilities, I think you and I could go at anything, whether it's together or individually, and be wildly successful, which is very interesting. And I think even what we've done in business, and we always have this conversation where we say, this is just the fucking beginning, because it is. It really is. All the success that we're having now, you know, 23, 22, 23, 24 is, it's insane, but it still is just the beginning. And you and I always talk and say, you know, think about where we're going to be three, five years from now. But the nature of the creative soul is to create. And if we do anything in life, it's good because we can't just sit idle. We have to be doing something. And like right now, copywriting is your vehicle to create, right? I like sales because I'm able to be creative on the fly. I like creating businesses. I like building, right? But you and I also have love for other things. We have love for music, for art, for taste, for design, for fashion, right? Mm -hmm. So there's so many different things that encompass the creative soul. And I think the biggest disservice and the biggest crime and the biggest tragedy 
is people like us not being able to do that. Guys like us stuck in a job waiting tables, right? Or making sandwiches or working in a nine to five, clicking away on a computer and it crushes the creative soul. And I think what's very interesting is that you and I, any job that I've had, I've always had a fucking ego as well. Mm. Did I think I was better than everyone? Yeah, probably. Yep, same thing. I was in a position that 30 year olds were in at 22 or I knew that this wasn't the end all be all for my life. And I knew that I just wanted to, I knew I always, always, always wanted to do something creative and we're able to provide that nourishment to our, our mind, to our soul, to our spirit in the things that we do every day, right? For you right now, it's writing, but you and I can both pick up guitar. Like sometimes like for the listener, sometimes me and Mason call each other and we sit there and we jam a song for 10 minutes on guitar, talk shit, and then get down to whatever the hell we were going to talk about. Like when we were in Mexico, me and Mason were going back and forth playing songs that we had, we had played on, that we had written, just sharing ideas and, and being creative. And for any of you that, that genuinely are creative people, because I know there's a lot of you that are stifled by the world, I want you to really sit and think about how you can accomplish making money with fulfilling the purpose that you have in your life of being creative, of being an artist, right? John Mayer, great example. And I'm actually very jealous that you went and saw him because when I got back to LA in March, he played three nights at the forum and I totally forgot to go see him. Oh, you should have, bro. So, it, was, it was an insane show. So the next time next time that, I, that he has tickets available, I'm definitely going to go see that show. But Can I tell you so you ever heard the song Walt Grace? Of course. Walt Grace, yeah, Walt Grace Submarine Test 1967. For anybody who doesn't know, it's off his album Born and Raised. I highly recommend you go listen to it. I haven't heard that song in probably four or five years. Really? And, and yeah, and when I heard it at the show, I started crying. He played it at the show. Played it at the show. This is what's crazy, bro. So they so he did five or six songs with the band at full band out. And then the band went back and then he came out like it's the, the stage was black for a second, but he came out probably 30 seconds later with just like a, a steel guitar and everyone was out going, getting snacks and going, taking a piss and stuff like that. And I was like, maybe there was like 50% of the people still watching. And I, I was watching and I was like, holy shit. And the message of the song for anybody who doesn't know, you know this, but the message of the song is about this guy named Walt Grace. And he's sick of his old life, his boring life that's kind of just been carved by the people around him. He never really put too much thought into it. And he decided to um, he, he decided to leave. So he built a submarine uh, using library books. Uh, everybody thought he was crazy. His family thought he was crazy. His friends thought he was crazy. Everyone said, don't do it. It's super dangerous. It's too big of a risk. You won't, you won't make it out. And then next thing you know, Walt Grace's wife receives a phone call from Walt Grace all the way from Tokyo. And he made it. And then once he made it, everyone celebrated him. Everyone, everyone thought he was, you know, the, the greatest, uh, you know, most, you know, the ballsiest guy to walk the earth. You know, they, they put... What's the lyric? With the bar with his name on the sign. And that story probably feels pretty familiar to what a lot of 
a lot of people listening do. And that was the same for me where it's like, we both took pretty big risks, sort of like leaving whatever we were doing beforehand. For me, it was school. For you, it was your sales job. And decided to build a business with like no promise of return. But it wasn't just the business. It was also like, you know, kind of breaking out of the, I hate to say this, but it sounds so corny, breaking out of the matrix. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so when I heard that song, I just, it hit me and I was like, I love oh, that song. God. Listen to that song all the time, actually. Yeah. And it's crazy that you bring that song up particularly, but you know, I think that what's interesting about this idea of the creative soul as well is there's a natural call to adventure. And when you're in positions where you feel like things are bleak, what's very interesting is us doing that and, and you know, quitting and going out on a limb with no promise of survival, right? No promise of success. It feeds the adventures, the, the adventurer's spirit. It feeds that call that you have for exploration, for something new. And as a creative, you're always searching for the next song, like especially music. Like I cut this song, like I haven't, I haven't written a song in almost a year. And I took a trip up to the mountains to Big Bear, to Big Bear Lake, California for like two, I think it was two or three days. And I remember in the car, I had this lyric that just came to me, right? And it was climbing up this mountain, trying to catch the stars. Because I'm driving up a mountain, looking at the stars. And I thought about, thought about my life as like, you're, you're always climbing up a mountain to try to catch the stars. But the stars, you can't ever catch the stars because stars are so far away. But what's interesting, and I wrote in, the, the song is about this, is when you finally get to the top of the mountain, you still can't catch the stars. And the stars serve as this metaphor of the soul always chasing something, new, always looking for the next thing, always looking for that call to adventure, always looking for that exploratory spirit. And I thought it was interesting because the things that we do now, yeah, they might, people might think they're rigid, like, oh, you're a marketer, you're, you run an education company, you do this, you do that. But at the end of the day, like people don't understand where it comes from. And I think everything in life that we do, it comes from, you have to understand, like I told somebody on the live call the other day, I said, like, you have to be passionate about where, how this opportunity is going to affect you in the future. And, and how is it going to build the skills so that you can eventually reach your dreams? How does, how does the opportunity right now tie into your dreams? And I think when you do that and you do that, well, you can do anything in the world. And as long as it's tied in with that spirit, that, that goal that you have, right. Whether it's making money, whether it's starting a family whether, whatever the hell it is, whether it's making music, like, as long as it's coming from a place of purity and it feeds into that undying thirst, that unquenching thirst that you and I have as creative people, I think you're on the right track. I think the hard part is knowing what you want. There was actually a quote that was like the hardest, the hardest thing is figuring out what you want. And so like, I think everyone knows deep down that all they have to do is just figure out what they want and then go get it. But it takes sometimes decades to figure out what that is. Yeah. And so, 
as a creative person, uh, you'd think that, you know, my, my goal or the thing that I want and same for you is to like bless as many eyes and ears and hearts with my creative work as I possibly can in this short life I have. But I don't really think that's it. I never think about that. When I say it out loud, it doesn't sound right. So I don't know. I think that's the hard part about, about like trying to figure out what, what clicks for you. Like as a creative person, like what, what's a, what's a good benchmark? What's a good benchmark for you to say that you nailed it? Like, cause create creativity is so subjective. Like, how do you know that you nailed something? You know, I think you're going to probably agree with me. There's a feeling. And my dad, I remember I was playing the song that my dad wrote. My dad was, a, you know, played all over the world. He played bass and he did a bunch of things, but music was always his first love. And I remember when I was, I think it was seven or eight years old. I think it was eight, eight or nine, actually eight, probably eight or nine years old. And I was playing, I was playing guitar and me and him were sitting in the living room. And he was playing bass, was playing guitar, and we we played this song, and we were you know playing the riff, and we were just playing. And at the end, we looked at each other, and sat there and stared at each other. And there was this feeling in the room. It created an energy. It created a feeling. And my dad said, "Do you?" And he and he said, "David, do you feel that?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, and he looked at me, and he said, "That's the magic." Wow. And he said, to feel that is so rare. And I sat there and I, and I always think about that. And I always think about those little moments where that magic is created. That's how I know I nailed it. Like when you cut a song in 10, 15 minutes and you play over it, it might be the most simple song, but you feel it after you wrote it. Right. And you feel like after you play it, you sit there and you're like, damn. Fuck what anybody else thinks. I think if I sit there and I say, I nailed it, that means I nailed it. And that's yeah. just, awesome. and that's, that's how I judge it. That's how I feel about it. And you might agree with me, but whenever I feel that magic, I hold on to it because it's such a fleeting ephemeral thing. It's a very ephemeral moment. I hold on to it for as long as possible. And I always remember those feelings of magic because they are so few and far between and so rare in our lives that most people generally never even get to experience. I would agree with that. And I think what you said about it, like your answer to that question was really like, if you think you nailed it and you feel that magic, then you did. And I think, I think that people are, people are discouraged from being more creative because when you put something out that you think you nailed and you felt that magic and you put it out and everyone watching it goes, eh, I don't think so. Then I think that kind of like that does something to you and like it, it kind of undoes everything that you just did. But that's like a really new thing. And the idea of creativity has existed forever. Mm -hmm. And so in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden you get instant feedback from people who don't know you, don't care about you and, and don't understand what you're doing. And we take that to mean that we didn't nail it. And I think that it's so important to sort of like you know, uh, this is, this is just me, especially since like, you know, I've, I've started to try and, and 
have more of a presence on on social media in the last like month or two like with twitter and tiktok yeah there's some stuff i just like to keep to myself where yeah. it's like before that i would post something that i thought i nailed and be like yeah i fucking nailed that but now i don't know i think that you know there's some things that only i'll understand or maybe you'll you like i'll share it with you and you'll understand it or i'll share it with one of my music friends and they'll understand it but not everything has to be public you know what i mean yeah you know what's interesting about that is actually jerry seinfeld the comedian he always he had oh, a- that jerry seinfeld oh yeah. sorry i wasn't i wasn't sure which jerry seinfeld you were talking about you meant the comedian so what's interesting is he said when i write a joke or i have a really good joke i keep that joke to myself for 24 hours i don't tell anybody because then that joke is only for me actually i think i heard john mayer say that too right about a song you keep it for like you keep it to yourself right and you have it i know what you're talking it's about thing that it sits there inside you and it's like it's something that you have that no one else has mm-hmm. and there's a certain power that comes with that where you sit there you have a song like i remember i wrote this, this beautiful piece of music i showed you you loved it but i wrote it and, and nobody nobody had it except for me and nobody has it except for me. No one can play. No one knows how it's played. No one has it. I mean, you could probably sit there and be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is how it's played. But you have perfect pitch, which annoys me a little bit. But <laughs> it's one of the things where it's like only I have that. And for the rest of my life, that's only something that I'm going to have. And that's absolutely sacred to me. Mm-hmm. And the more things that we have like that, and, and it's, it's kind of the double-edged sword of, of us being where we're at now in social media. I think I just hit 16,000 Twitter followers today. You're at, I think, 20, and, and you're getting big on TikTok. But it's the downside because now nothing is sacred. You know, we can't tweet like we had 800 followers or 100 followers. We can't say the same. And you, you could argue, yeah, you can. But we're I so feel like I told you. There's so much of an audience there. Listen, man, there are things that I want to say sometimes that I just can't say now (laughs) that I just genuinely cannot say. But it's a trade-off, right? Because now, because, and the way I think about it is like a lot of people take what we say to heart and we have such an influence on, especially, you know, a microcosm of culture. We have such an in, impact and influence on a lot of people. Like when you went to that John Mayer concert, how many people were in that stadium? I don't know. 20,000. How many followers do you have on Twitter? Uh, 20, 20,000.8. I got six. Like, dude, that's like every single thought that we have being broadcasted out to a stadium full of people. I've never thought about it like that. From the biggest guitar player on earth right now. You know, like when Zeppelin was playing concerts, it was, it was five, 10,000 people until they started filling football stadiums and it was 20, 30, 40,000. And the bigger we get, it's like every single thought they can put out gets broadcasted to a, a rock, a rock concert full of people. Right. So I think about that a lot. So like there's stuff that I want to say sometimes. I'm sure there's stuff that you want to say sometimes you just don't say these days. Oh, my drafts are full. I my my draft tweets like there's probably a hundred in there, and it's not because I think I shouldn't say it. It's just because I don't need to, 
And I think like when I was, when I had 800 followers, like I would tweet whatever the fuck came to my mind. Um, but now like, now I have an audience of people that rely on me for dopamine and I don't want to disappoint. No, I mean, yeah, there's an added pressure. Yeah. But one would look at it as not pressure. It's just people that like you and people that fuck with you who want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario, it hits the wrong audience and you get quote tweeted by 5,000 people and everyone thinks that your fashion course is stupid. <laughs> That's the worst case scenario. Yeah, and then <laughs> caveat to that is you make a shit ton of money. Yeah, you know. <laughs> when some lose fun, some. I think you won that one. I think you won that one. Oh, I, I know I won. I know I won because no one understands. Like, But I think, you know, what's interesting, dude, is like, kind of shifting gears, right? Like you've also in your, in your 23 years have lived quite a dynamic life, right? Like you've, and, and I would say you've lived a dynamic life, more dynamic than most. You've been, you've been in, you know, a world-class level musician. You've been world-class at copywriting for the past, I want to say two years. You're a business guy now. You're getting big on TikTok. You're a TikToker now. Mm -hmm. We're, Twitter micro influencers, I guess we'd like, we could say Twitter micro celebrities. I fucking hate the word influencer. We're micro celebrities now. Mm -hmm. Done a lot of things. Been on boats in Miami, been to Mexico. We're about to hit another boat in Miami. We're about to, for my birthday, yeah. We're about to hit yeah. another boat in Miami. But I'm excited for that. We've, we've done a lot of things. And, and, you know, actually, what I wanted to ask you about is now that you're, now that you're making money, how has it affected your relationships with women and dating? Oh, that is a good question. Um, it's changed multiple times. And uh, I don't think it's helped me as much as some people would think. Um, because I, 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 here's, why, here's why I think it's actually gotten harder. And it's not for the reason that Tate says. Tate's, Tate has talked about this where he thinks that as you make more money as a man, you become more intimidating and less girls are willing to talk to you because there's just risk for her. I don't really experience that. And as a disclaimer, I'm still surrounded with, with beautiful women in my life and I'm very lucky. I have female friends, I have female companions that I hang out with and everything's all good. However, it's changed a lot. So. My idea, and this is the reason, my identity that I have now that I've given to myself doesn't really make sense. I think it's something that seems like really strange where it's like, I'm, I'm a younger looking guy. I'm young and I think in a lot of ways I'm naive. Mm -hmm. And to be paired with, um, you know, having resources that I can be selfless with, um, I think like, is strange to a lot of girls. So sometimes I don't know how to come off. Um, and so I've, it's come to the point where I just don't talk about it. And there's some people that like really rely on that. Like I can name names and it's nobody that we respect. Um, but I would say that there are people that um, that's their only personality. And I've, I've been very conscious of making sure that that never happens because I know how it comes across. Um, so I think the only difference is I can get a little bit more adventurous and, um, I guess 
outrageous with where I take girls on dates. Like I've had some pretty expensive dates in the last three, four months. Most you spent. Most I spent on a date? Yeah. Over a grand. But this is a girl I really liked. Um, and that was like, that was not just like a dinner. It was like dinner and a thing in a hotel. And yeah. If you want to include class or whatever. But like, yeah. So I actually want to go back on something that you said. And I, I just don't think you've experienced it yet. Right. Because I remember you were in a relationship for a while. And then you and I had a talk. This was about six months ago. You and I had a talk and you, I kind of completely changed your mindset about it, but I don't think you've experienced the, I'm intimidating now because I'm making money and I'm in a position of status and stature or whatever that is. Like, you know, yeah, you're a younger looking guy, but I think you're a perfect testament of, of something that a guy can achieve without the stereotypical kind of Chad attributes, right? You're not very tall. How tall are you? Five seven, five eight, something like that. Maybe that's, okay. maybe that's a little generous. <laughs> I don't know. That's smirking. Really generous. Mason's about five, five six. Oh, okay, I'm not five six. I'm five seven. Let's stick with five seven. In, in Alexander McQueen's, you're five seven. <laughs> in McQueen's, I'm six six, dog. So you're also, you know, you were you were twenty two, now you're twenty three. You're not like you don't look like you're older, but Every girl that you send me, she's she's pretty, you know, and you do very well. And you're charis- you're very charismatic. You're very very funny. I think you're probably the funniest guy that I've ever met in my life. And Damn. you that. you're genuinely like a fun, happy person to be around, which speaks volumes to why you're able to get the quality and the level of girls that you're able to get. Right? Like if you're a guy and this is just general life advice to you guys. Like you guys don't have to be me. Like I'm six, four or whatever, you know, you guys can all say whatever the hell you want to say. Oh, that's why he does this, this, and this because he's six foot four and tall. And no, Mason's a perfect example of what you can achieve, right? He's spent the time working on himself. He's charismatic. He's funny. Like if you're a short dude, like you're not getting any taller. Like you don't need to go get the knee extensions from Dr. Miami. Oh my God. (laughs) Like you become, you, you start making money. You can become charismatic. You can become funny and you can work on your appearance to the point where you can work on your fashion. You can work on your appearance and you can work on all the other, the other attributes besides just genuine height or something like that. And you can be a happy, positive person to be around with shit going on in his life and ambition and really cool friends and real and a really cool lifestyle, and you can get insane girls, like yeah. girls that you never even dreamed that you'd be able to get. Because I know the quality of girls that you've been getting in the past six seven months has gone through the roof. Ever since you and I had that conversation, I I will say, and this may help. Um, I dated one of the most beautiful girls who was extremely smart extremely talented in the kitchen which like i'm not trying to be that guy i'm just saying what's true the the girl could cook bro she was very responsible she was a good driver and she was a gymnast and i got her when i was making fucking 14 cents an hour working at 
a restaurant serving up Caesar salads. It doesn't exactly it, like, and you know, like I'm not screwed for the rest of my life. I mean, she, she was cool, but like, and there, there will be more, but it doesn't really have to do with money, I think. And I think especially when the girls are younger. So I think like girls' expectations go up as they rise in age and status. Yep. Um, and I think like, I don't know, dude, there's no fucking formula. Like it's, it's really hard to make generalizations about, about girls because you honestly just don't know. Like there's so many girls that like you'd think by the way that they look that they'd be like super like pocket watching. You know what I mean? Where it's like, are you like, do you make six figures like that? You think that that's like the first question they ask and it doesn't mean a thing to them. Some girls, some girls just value different things. Yeah. And that's just what I've seen. And so, but one thing that I think is a constant that I think anyone can adopt is this, this is what girls value, dude. They, they value having a fun time. Yeah. That's honestly it. It's so fucking simple where it's like, it doesn't matter how you provide that to them. Like looking over at your girl, as I say, Um, but you can, you can take her out to a five-star dinner. You can take her to South America and show her around. Like I I could probably take a girl right now to Playa del Carmen and and show her all the spots. I spent enough time there with you and, and the boys, or you could, you know, set up a picnic in the park and go for a bike ride or do something kind of like something that she hasn't done before. That's what's going to like actually make her interested. It's just don't bore her. Money is a tool that you can use to not bore a girl. But the thing that the mistake that a lot of guys make is that they're fun and interesting and then they get money and then they think they don't have to be interesting anymore because they have money and then they become really fucking boring and it flips. So girls don't give a fuck. So I don't know. That's just how I girls genuinely like they don't care about money and the girls who do care about money are girls that you shouldn't be dating anyway. Like I agree with that genuinely should not. Now this is probably an exception for, for daughters of billionaires and, and nine, eight, nine figure millionaires, right? Because they're, you know, used to a certain type of lifestyle, but I don't think like if a girl is like pocket watching and expects like a bunch of like designer gifts and like expensive dates all the fucking time, that's a girl you shouldn't be dating. Right. Yeah. But it's a what comes for, and I think for all the guys listening, right. Like what comes from having money or making money is the confidence internally inside you that is exuded and exploded out into the world that is expended. That's the word I'm looking for. Expended out into the world when you walk around and you know that you're fucking good. And guess what? There's a newsflash for everybody. Hundred grand ain't it. (laughs) That's not it. Now there's 200 grand. So when you're walking around and you know that you're like, you know that you're making money, you know that you're in shape, like, you know, but you're humble right? Like, and you don't need to go, like, you don't need to take a chick to a $500 dinner date the first time you meet her, because then that just sets. And I talk about this all the time is setting the expectation, right? Because that's what she's going to expect. Right. So then it's like, I, and I gave this example like the other day, right. But once you drive a Ferrari, it makes your Toyota or your Honda feel like a piece of shit. 
So you have to slowly, and the way you do it is you have to, you have to start on the bottom or the lower end, and then you start increasing everything over time as the relationship grows, as you start to fall in love, as you start to really like build a bond together, and then you can start doing really nice shit, right? Like I'm bringing, I'm bringing my chick right now to 110 foot fucking super yacht in Miami for my birthday, but we went on our first date at a dive bar. She's going to come? Yeah, of course she's going to come. Yo, that's sick, dude. So, this being said, right? Like, this being said, like, you know, like, we're doing nice shit. But the thing is, is, like, the, the unshakable confidence is, like, that's that's what comes from being, like, being that guy. Like, being, a, like, a really cool guy. Like, being a down-to-earth person. Being an interesting person. And so, the way you guys should do it is you focus on becoming the person first without money. And then when the money comes, you don't change. You still remain the same person that you were before that, because that guy is a cool guy. Hopefully, hopefully you're not a weirdo, but you, you, you still remain the same person because all those same attributes are still attractive. Like it, but the money just facilitates cooler, cool, nicer cars, better houses and, and cooler experiences. And that's it. Yeah. One of the worst things you can do is um, use money as a crutch for a thing that you lack somewhere else because it's so inauthentic and so transparent. I can, I, at least me now, I don't know, but you definitely can, but I can see right through that shit. Oh yeah. So noticeable to see when someone has absolutely no sauce and, and chooses to flex their income or the shit that they bought with their big income as a way to sort of cope with the fact that they have no personality. They're not in great shape. And, you know, I'm one to talk. I'm not in the best shape right now, but I'm getting there. But I went to the gym today. And, yeah, it's just it's it's disappointing because you want to fucking like sit him down and shake him and be like, yo, like learn how to hold a conversation, learn how to look someone in the eyes and and like, you know, be a, a person that is worth listening to. And that that's just I don't know. I feel that that's rare. I feel like I don't think I did that in the in the wrong order. I think that I was like 94% of the person that I am now. Um, and then, you know, the, the traits that come with, you know, being able to build a business. That's part of it. It's not just the money. Building a business is it takes a lot of skills. Yep. And those skills are, are, are uh, transferable. So the the mindset and determination and um, stability and emotional control that you need in order to build something from zero to one is is immense and that's what turns you into you know an individual that's interesting and now that i think about that it doesn't have to be business i think that anything that you pursue with a hundred percent of your energy is what will turn you into that person it could be mma it could be I don't know, building rockets. I don't know. But I think you need that one thing. For me and you, that was business. Doesn't yeah. Need to for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it was it was necessarily sales, but it's it's business. I guess sales is part of business. Like, you know, I always remember like just always kind of having stuff to talk about, always being interesting, always being deep. And it's just like it's something that like I don't think I necessarily like purposely cultivated. But it's just I was always interested in a bunch of different things. And, and that's that's helped me immensely, just not only with girls, but in life. Right. Like 
of not being just a, a shell or, or hollow and being boring and not being able to facilitate fun and not being able to, to have fun. And I think the ability to have fun and money are not directly correlated because you can have money and be a, you can be a boring piece of shit. Actually, I know some people like that who have some money, but they're, they're super boring to hang out with. Yeah, I can name a lot of those. But I think that a good test of, of your ability to entertain and I guess just your personality in general is like, if you were locked in a stairwell, like how, how long would it take for you to start just like choosing to entertain yourself? Like, I know that there are a couple people like you, Ben, Harry, and a couple other people that like, I could be locked in a stairwell with literally with like our phones could be dead. And like within 10 minutes of realizing like, fuck, I guess we're locked in this stairwell overnight until someone comes and unlocks it and like gets us out of here. I, I feel like we would be having a good time doing something. We would like find a way to fucking play some war game or like we'd, we'd make, we'd gamify something. We'd find a way to have fun. And that's why, and that's why, hold on. And that's why when we go to Mexico or we go to Miami or we're spending an afternoon on a boat, we are having the most fun possible because it's all of the stuff that makes us interesting and fun, but in fucking 95 degree weather surrounded by beautiful women and water and with a couple drinks in us. And that's why we are the best to hang out with. I I also think like, and, and it's interesting thought concept of this idea of being locked in a stairwell. I think we would sit there and tell stories for at least eight hours. So we had 24 hours in a stairwell. I think 12 of that would be telling stories. Four to six would be spent sleeping. And then we'd probably do some sort of physical exercise. And then we'd probably tell more stories and just laugh and talk shit. Yeah. I think, I think that you're right. That's, that's an interesting thing to think about. I feel like how long do you think it would be until we decided that we might as well just like walk up and down the steps as many times as we can until we get tired? Like, let's say it's 30, uh, 30 stories. I feel like, I, yeah, that's what we would do, bro. That's what we would do. But that's, again, that's, it brings us back to what we first talked about. It's like, that's our creative spirit. Yeah. I don't want to be too self-congratulatory. I'm sure there's like most people that would figure out how to fucking like kill time in a stairwell. But like, you know, my head is a fun place to live in like 99% of the time. <laughs> I have a good time doing anything, bro. Just because there's, I'm always thinking of shit. I'm always thinking of jokes. I'm always thinking of ideas that I can like use for business or shit that I can just tweet like content stuff. Like when you think like that and when you're like, when you're a creative person, like you have a good time all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, most of the time, unless your thoughts start to occupy too much of your mind and then you start going into negative scripts, but that's a whole conversation for another story. <laughs> you know, I think the ability to be a positive person is something that you guys can start to cultivate because the only thing that you genuinely have control over in your life is your mind and the way you react to situations. Like, you could, we could easily have sat in that stairwell and sat there and been like depressed because we're in a stairwell. Oh, this sucks. Oh, this is horrible. Complaining, complaining, complaining. There's, and it's like the stages of grief, right? It's like you just, when you get to the level of acceptance, 
you accept your situation, then you can begin to change your situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I remember just being like, just like I was, I was making money and I was just like back, like, and I, and I moved, I had moved out to LA for two months with Jack. And then I came back to, to Philly and I like just stayed at my mom's for like a month. And I was just like, yo, like, got this money but like nothing has really changed and i was like genuinely like i felt like kind of shitty like i'm in great shape like i can pretty much do whatever but like the only thing that is constraining me is my time and the time that i'm allocating to where i'm at right now and i just accept it and once i accepted that situation then i began to change it i was like okay well what are my options am i going to sit here and continue to be unhappy until this number increases and increases and I'm just going to stay in this situation or am I going to just do something drastic? Am I going to change it? And when I made that acceptance decision, like obviously I was angry about like, Oh, like fuck this situation. This shit sucks. But I sat there and I'm like, okay, well I can either sit here and be mad or I can just start working on shit and start acting and start doing shit to change it. I was like, okay. So like, and then I sat, I sat there with a pen and paper. I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And then it led me to, running around the world experiencing new things expanding my horizons per se like not like i need to find myself because i think people who do that are kind of dickheads but (laughs) genuinely like i needed more stories and i needed to experience the world in a different way and i need needed to experience different cultures and different parts of the world and i knew that it would make me a better person and once you start to and anybody who's and i want to just you know hit the listener with this, anyone is in a situation that they feel like they can't change for where it is you're at. Can you hear me? You're cutting out. You're you're cutting out. Okay, I think we're we're back. So once you accept that situation and you're able to change that situation, you're starting to to be able to get experiences and that's going to make you a better man. It's going to make you a better person, right? Because then you're going to come back. And then you're going to have experiences and stories and you're going to become more interesting and you're going to have a better life if you didn't do those things. And anyone listening, if you guys have that call to adventure, that call to go see the world or go, you know, start a business, whatever the fuck it is, right? Just please go do it. Please go do it. And don't be so attached to the outcome because that's what me and Mason did. And look at where we're at now. And everyone's like, oh, you know, respect to where you guys are. Like, it's because we have we took leaps. We took leaps of faith. And it's like jumping off a canyon and not being able to see the other side and not knowing if you're going to hit land or just fall and die. So you just got to go do that shit. Uh, you have anything to add to that, Mace? Yeah, I would say that in terms of, you know, how we evaluate risk, like think like get out a pen and paper and list off the riskiest things that you can do with your life. Like the riskiest, like the top 10 riskiest things. I guarantee you that starting a business will not be on that list. In fact, it would be near the bottom if you were to extend that to a thousand of the most risky things that you can do. This is not for everybody. I would say that if you're 35 and you have a couple kids and you have a wife and you're making a, you're making a, uh, you know, 150 K a year at your job, and you have people to take care of, I would say there is more risk, yes. But most of the people listening to this are not that person. They're a 21 year old who still lives at home and they have you know 500 bucks in their bank account 
and they just like, they're like, oh, should I do it? How do I start sending cold emails? We talked about this the other day, bro, when we did a module, but like there, there really is no downside to starting as young as you can. The worst thing that happens to you is you get told fuck off by a client. And I promise you that shit doesn't bother you after like 10 minutes. I remember the first time I got told fuck off by a client or by a prospect. And I was like, whoa. And I just thought, I just remember thinking I got that out of the way because everyone says that the worst thing that happens to you when you're doing that is like a prospect tells you to like, just go fly a kite. And that happened to me. And I was like, all right, well now I've literally faced the worst thing that could happen to me. And now I can move forward. So when it comes to things that you choose to do that have limited downside and potentially unlimited upside, I don't see why starting a business isn't on that list for you. Um, I would say that it's a little bit different when it comes to travel. Um, like there is, I guess, more risk technically when you're traveling. Um, but I enjoy traveling. I think that I, I never realized how much I was going to like it before I started like leaving the country as often as I do. Like uh, I've every single month since December, I've, I've left and done something, whether it's just been a, a quick trip to another city with you or, or the boys or like a whole expedition. Like when we, when we went to, well, not, we went to two together, but I went to four cities in January and February. Like that, that breathes so much life into me, dude. I don't know why it is. I, I like, I guess it is because like, you just get a change of scenery and stuff like that. And you, you do get more stories as you put it, but like, I think I'm addicted, dude. Like I, I just, I love getting on a plane and like going to sleep and waking up being on another part of the world and like meeting the people who live there. You know, I'll tell you this, dude, you really enjoy it now. And that's how I felt. Right. And I've been to, I think 11 different countries now, countless cities have been to like 11 different countries. And that is going to expand over the next probably two, one to two years. I'll, it, it'll be over 50 or 60. And dude, like honestly, the trip that I just had in Europe, and I remember I called you, I literally called you like, or you called me when I was in Italy, I was laying there and I said, dude, I am fucking exhausted. Yeah. I was burnt out, bro. And I realized that I hadn't spent more than five weeks in the same city, in the same place in the world for almost a year. Actually, I think it's been over a year. And I thought about that, man. And I thought about that. I was like, you know what? I just need to, and I'm still being in the same place for just five weeks and traveling as much as I've done. I've still been able to build everything that you and I have built. Like I've still been able to really do well. And now I start to wonder, my mind starts to go and I start to think, okay, well, what if I stay in the same place for longer than that? How much more locked in could I be in business? How much more money could I make? How much more could I do for my network, for all of those experiences? What have I not experienced here? Like, what else can I do? And it starts to, after about a year, and I'm going to tell you this, after the first year, it's something to expect that you're going to get burned out and you're just going to stay in Canada. You're going to, or you're going to want to stay somewhere for a longer period of time. And you're just going to want to relax. But the first year it's fucking fun. Not going to lie. It is fucking fun. Oh, yeah. Miami here, boat party, strip club, nightclub, Greece, islands, boats, this, that, what, like everywhere in the lake, dude, everywhere, bro. I, like, especially Europe in the summer, Europe in the summer is different. Like, 
hopefully you'll be able to, you'll be able to make a trip out and, and do something over there with me this, this year. But, you know, that part of the world is different. That lifestyle, this lifestyle, not a lot of people get to live. It's fun for about the first year. And then you're like, okay, shit, I need to get back to work. I mean, dude, like you remember me in Mexico. Like I, there was a, there was a week where like I was not having fun because I felt like I was missing out on so much stuff inside of my business. And that was when I was just starting the agency where it was like, I didn't even know what our fucking product was yet. <laughs> like it was brand new. Yeah, and I was, I was really, really nervous. I was like, I need to do shit. And I was like, I don't even want to be in Mexico right now. Like I should be home. And then I think like the, the biggest thing is like, if you can find a routine that is sort of bulletproof where it's like, no matter where you are in the world, you kind of have a, a sort of rough routine that you can take with you and still get shit done and, you know, do what you need to do. That's super important. And yeah, I mean, like, if, if I go long enough without being, you know, sleeping in my own bed and like being in my house, like I'm sure that'll mess with me. But like I've taken, I've taken a lot of trips in the last six months and I'm not quite sick of it yet. I can feel myself kind of getting sick of it. And then I just know what to do to turn it around. Uh, bro, I take you to the Balkans, bro. I take you to the Greek Isles. I take you to Croatia, Southern Italy, dude. You're not going to, you're not going to feel sick of it, bro. I, I doubt that I will. I, I think that finalized. you're going to feel energized. You're going to feel revitalized. You're going to feel like a new man. But in terms of like, okay, I'm flying to Miami. I'm flying to Dallas, flying here, flying here, flying here. Like you're staying in the same part of the world. Mm-hmm. Staying in North America when you go like, but when you've, you've already done that part, it's like when you've already done like that stuff, like it, then it becomes tiring, but you have a whole other part of the world to see. And mm-hmm. I think when I see Asia, and the rest of Eastern Europe, I'm going to feel the same way that, that, you know, I did originally when I went over to, you know, when I went over to Italy, when I went over to the same places, like, um, but you know, it's cool. And traveling, traveling is something, you know, the freedom, it's just like, when you, when you feel that freedom for the first time, dude, it's like that first year or two of freedom, it's just like, it's insane. I think, I think the thing that means the most to me is just like the fact that and I, the reason I love traveling the States is because I have all these friends that I've made online and these are like legitimate, meaningful friendships that I really value. Like the friends that I've made in the last year or so, I really fuck with those people. And you're, you're included in that, obviously. And I think it's just so interesting where it's like, and it sounds stupid when I say it, but like, I can just get on a plane, pay $200, go anywhere I want within four or five hours. And then I can see my friends and I can be in warmer weather and I can be in, you know, uh, I can be near water. Like, that's just so cool to me where it's like, it's like a fucking time machine. Cause it's like, you look at it on a map and you're like, oh, so far away, but you just get on a little fucking thing that takes you through the sky. And then you land four hours later and then you're in Miami. That to me is, is what I love where it's just like, it's just so easy to like step into that world because Miami is so different from where I am. Like it's, I'm in the suburbs right now, bro. And like Miami is just like this pure, like raw energy. And it's just so accessible. That's what I like about traveling. You know, I really find, yeah, I really find this funny. You and I were already like making money together and running like a business. We were running a business together already. And we had never met in person (laughs) until I fucking convinced you. I literally was drunk as a skunk 
in the Amex lounge in Philly flying to Miami. And I said, I called you and I said, no, I said, book a ticket right now. And it was like a 20 minute phone call where I literally had to sell you on being like, look, like you have to, no, I was like, no, like it's not a, it's not a, oh, I'm not sure. It's you have to be here for this. You have to come. Like you have to do this. This is something you need to do. You must do. Cause you were complaining before about, oh, you know, I haven't been out of the country, da, 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 whatever. And that's what sparked you running around and doing the things that you've done the past six months. That was six months. Was that six months? Yeah, it was six months ago. Yeah, but yeah. December's the first week of December, I remember. Yep. And those conversations that we had in Miami, in that condo that we stayed in with Ricardo, with us three, we have made shit tons of money from the principles that we applied in that conversation. Yeah, I don't even remember what the conversation was about at this point because it's, now it's so long ago, but like I know roughly what we talked about. I remember we talked a lot about credit. <laughs> That's all I remember about that, bro. We were all in the bag. I don't even know what we talked about. We were just in our bag talking for five and a half hours, six hours, telling stories, talking about life and those things. And like that conversation, not only like us, you know, meeting each other for the first time, but like that conversation was absolutely worth it. And so the whole game now is like, how do we just have more of those? Right. Like you, I know you started a podcast. Everyone go listen to Mason's podcast. I know you started a podcast. I started this. We obviously have all the content that we talk about inside of our, our, our education company inside of Cashflow Syndicate. We talk on Twitter and it's like, how do we just have more of those conversations? How do we facilitate those conversations? Because those conversations are worth their weight in gold. Mm -hmm. Can I just say, um, out of all of the things that I've built in the last like ye two years, like freelancing clientele, agency, Twitter page, TikTok page, like different products that I've done on the side, stuff like that, courses. I think my podcast is the thing that I enjoy the most because, and here's why I've realized in the last like week or two, how high of a ceiling there is for how good a conversation can be. And like, I think that if there's any one transferable skill that business can teach you, or that's something that we do can teach us. I think it's having a really, really good conversation, like being a fucking wizard at conversations. And I've listened to you and you're good. You're a good conversationalist. You're a great interviewer. You, you have, you ask really good questions and you're really good at building up a story. This is what you do. You build up a story, you tell this story and like you, you get people so tuned in, they're listening to what you're saying. And then you take all of that energy, the energy that you built up with that story and you offer it to your podcast guests and you point it into a question. You go like, and it's something along, not, not this simplistic, but it'll be something along the lines of, has that ever happened to you? And like, you just, you just feel the guests. It's just like you transferred all that energy to them and they are just like so ready to answer that question. And I think like, I, and I've never, I haven't, I don't hear people talk about this much, but like the art of having a conversation and guiding and leading a conversation is so crucial. Like I, I can, I can think of a few conversations I've had in my life where it's just like, I've left going, that guy was so easy to talk to, or that guy was so smart, or that guy made me feel like so interesting. And like that is what my podcast does for me. 
I think like it's just an opportunity to sharpen that that knife and get really good at guiding people towards talking about something they want to talk about while making us both sound interesting. I think that's a huge skill. What do you have to say about that? I think it's something you can learn, but you have to be innately talented in order to be a master of. The ability to, this is something that I spoke and touched on when I spoke with Ben and Harry on Internet Kids, the first podcast I ever did. I think that was back in November. The first like interview I ever did, they said you rarely ever say um or stutter. And I think the ability to be an incredible orator and, and be absolutely profound in the way that you speak and captivate an audience is something that you have to learn and have to study, right? And it's something that requires practice. One of the reasons I love Twitter spaces is because it, I always imagine it as me standing on a stage and speaking to an audience. I imagine this, obviously this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but I imagine like an interview, right? Where we're sitting on stage and then an audience is listening. And that's something that I've always been able to do very well throughout my life. And it's something that I practice literally every day. When I speak, when I think about speaking, all of this stuff that I'm talking about now is directed right at an audience, right? Right at the listener. I want the listener to be absolutely captivated, right? I don't want them to click away or when we're selling something or if I'm in a sales conversation, I want them to, I want to have their full attention. I want them to be absolutely captivated and hanging on every single word that I say. Things like tonality, things that the way in, in terms of using your hands, right? On, on the video right now, using my hands, waving my hands around. All of these skills can be mastered. They can be learned, right? You can listen to somebody like me speak and you can think about why I'm saying things in the way that I'm saying them, right? For me, it's absolutely natural. But when you start to understand the world and understand psychology and things like sales and tonality and speaking, generally speaking, on a deep level and think about the why behind people. Why are people doing the things that they're doing? What is the strategy behind that? What is their intended goal? I think you're going to learn a lot about the world. I think you're going to learn a lot about how to be an incredible orator. And actually, Mason, this is something that I wanted to say to you. Over the course of our relationship and friendship and partnership that we've had, even now, I just listen to the way that you speak, that you're able to speak and you are exponentially better at speaking than you were before. Six months ago, you weren't as good of a speaker as, as you are now. And I think it's because you've not only had the practice, but you've had the exposure effect of being around, obviously being around me. Ricardo is an incredible speaker. There's a couple of people that we know who are really good speakers. And you're also, and Dan, Daniel, of course, called email wizard, shout out to the boy. We're really good speakers because every single time you hear us speak, we're right at you, right? We're, it's like we're jumping out of the out of the phone, jumping out of the screen, jumping at you, capturing your attention. And you're able to do that now, right? Maybe, you know, some people say that it's not at the other, not at the level, whatever, but we're able, you're able to do that now. 
even when you were telling your story, the way that you slowed down the way you were speaking, I, I don't know if you did it intentionally or not, but even the way that you slowed down your speech and your tonality, I, even I was hanging on every single word and I wanted to know what you were saying. That is a skill, probably one of the top three skills in life. Number one, sales. Number two is being able to, actually number one is the ability to, to be a good orator. Number two is sales. I don't know what the third one is, but copyright. <laughs> Facebook ads. That's the number three skill. Facebook ads. So, <laughs> still, like the, those two skills are like so incredibly important for you to and people to live a good life that I think it's a tragedy that people don't study them more, right? Like study a guy like Donald Trump and the way that he speaks, or Bill Clinton, or me, or Tate or Tate's a great speaker. I learned so much about speaking from listening to him and understand why he was doing the things that he was doing. The ability to reverse engineer, number three, the ability to reverse engineer the things that people are saying, the things that people are doing, the strategies behind those things, strategies in business, the funnel, the, the why behind everything. Always, always, always seek to understand. Always and number four, number four. Have perspicacity. <laughs> That's number four. You're bro. You're number four. You're bro. Perspicacity. <laughs> You're bro. You're broke. And if you I are broke, and if you I are broke, you join, you join Cashflow Syndicate, so you're not broke anymore. <laughs> I appreciate the compliment, bro. I honestly like. I, I always think that I've. I've had the ability to be a good speaker, but it's been very contextual. Um, and it, it really does depend on who I'm speaking to. And I also think that when we met, when we first started talking, you might've been in the first, you know, like, bro, I'm not gonna lie, from fucking March to October, or maybe September, I had maybe spoken like a total of like 10,000 words, which like, I was, I was so isolated um, even before that, even before March, um, I say March because that was when I broke up with my girl at the time and I was just so isolated and I just didn't have enough opportunities to speak like this. And I think that, you know, when you're, when you're trying to become a better writer, you have to read more and you have to write more. I mean, trying to become a better speaker, you have to listen more and speak more. So you listen to podcasts, you listen to speeches like TED Talks, you listen to stand-up comedians, you listen to the people who are the, the best in the world at what they do, which is speaking, and you try and take cues from them. And that that's how I would recommend you to become a better speaker if you, if you don't think you are. But it, yeah, it's honestly just practice. Every day. I agree. We need to speak every day and yeah. not, oh, you need to talk to your boys every day, but like you need to intentionally practice speaking. You have to intentionally practice sales. You have to intentionally do these things because without intention, you're not going to be able to fucking number one, track your goals. And you're not going to be able to accomplish your goals. You're not going to become better without intention. Nothing is by accident. You guys, there's so many people, especially on fucking Twitter. They sit there like, David, how did you get to where you are? Or how did you get started? Like, motherfucker, I just got started. 
Like, <laughs> I started selling shit. I started speaking. I started picking up the phone and being like, hello, I'm a, uh, do you want this? Like, literally, like, you start these things like, oh, how did you become a good speaker? I spoke. I was an actor when I was a kid. I've studied speaking. Like, oh, how did you get in shape? Like, bro, like, I didn't get in shape and as an ectomorph. And when I was in high school at 17, being six foot one and 130 pounds, 120, 130 pounds, like I didn't get to being six foot four, 190, 180, 190, whatever it is, lean by fucking accident. None of this shit, like I didn't start making this fucking money by accident. As I'm sitting here, I started laughing. We were laughing about this other. As I'm sitting here recording this podcast, I am in a thousand dollar St. Laurent shirt. Oh my God. <laughs> you don't wear, you don't buy or have the ability to buy a thousand something dollar St. Laurent shirt by accident. You don't just rock up one day and be like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to buy this. Shirt. No, you, you, like, you don't walk up with $200 in your bank account and be like, I'm going to buy a thousand dollar St. Laurent shirt by act. Like, no, it's all intentional. It's absolutely all intentional. For anybody listening, Figure out, you have to get really clear about what you want. If you're not clear about what you want, get clear on what you want. Number two, you start reverse engineering. You start asking why. You seek to understand why people are doing the things that they're doing. Why are they using this this type of rhetoric? Why are they tweeting in this type of of syntax, right? Why are they speaking in this type of syntax? How How is their business funnel set up? How is their advertising? What's the goal? What are they trying to accomplish in this sales letter? What are they trying to accomplish buy these things, you know, like even like us, right? Like what are we trying to accomplish over the course of us releasing podcasts and have our conversations? I'm not going to tell you because you should figure it out. All of these things, right? Like I think for the, the listener, right. And like, we have a pretty big audience now. All of these things are absolutely intentional. We're not doing anything just cause, right. When I had that tweet go super viral and I doubled down, it was not, it was not by accident. None of this stuff was by accident. So you start to have to, you have to create an intention. You have to have set your intention, right? If you guys want to make money, you guys got to be intentionally thinking about money, right? You got to, how are these, like, how are David and Mason making money? How can I, am I able to do something similar? Am I able to be able to make money that way? Am I, what's this person doing? What's this Jack dude doing in the gym? Maybe what's his diet look like, right? Start asking why, right? And the more you ask why, the more fucking answers you're going to get. And all information is good information, allows you to make more informed fucking decisions. And then the more information that you have, you make more informed decisions, you're, more, you're, you're a more interesting person, you're more informed about the world, you understand a lot about a lot of things, you become an exceptional individual, you start getting paid, and you start living like you see us living. That's it. I want to add to that, that it's not going to be easy until you've earned the right to have it easy. I've been thinking about this recently and I think easy is a privilege. Let me know what you think about this. Right now, I don't e- I'm not even a fucking freelance copywriter anymore. I don't even talk about copywriting. And I still get two or three DMs a week of people asking me to join their team as a freelancer and start writing some copy for them. And I know they have the pockets to pay for it. And I turn them down and I say, no, that's not what I do anymore. Are you a software company? I'm not going to work with you. In May of 2020, when I was struggling to get my first client, March, April, May, June, 2020, when I was sending 10 to 30 to 50 cold emails a day, 
begging people to work with me. Do you know how much I would have, you know what I would have given to receive a DM, one DM in my inbox about working with someone? It's easy now, but you have to go through the hard part to prove to yourself and to the fucking universe. I, I want to, I'm going to use the term universe, but insert whatever thing you believe in there as a placeholder. You need to prove to the universe that you are worthy of having it easy because we know what happens to people who get things too easy. They get fucking spoiled yep. and they're insufferable to talk to and to listen to and to be around. And so when you put in the effort to get really good at sales or really good at writing or really good at having conversations or really good at going to the gym, getting jacked, it's going to be easy when you deserve it. So it's not going to be fucking easy for a long time. You have to put the hours, bro. You got to put not just hours. You have to put years in. It takes years. It, it took you years to be as good as you are at sales. It took you maybe a couple of weeks to get, you know, good at sales. But as good as you are now, that's not something that you learn from two weeks of on-the-job training. That is hours and hours and hours of repetition. And it's the same thing with me with copywriting. Like last year. I was writing between like I was writing between 15 and 25 emails every single fucking day. I was yeah. writing from sun up to sundown. And now I'm really good at it. And it's just a, it's second nature to me. Now it's easy. Exactly. Exactly. When you when you guys start doing things so much that it becomes second nature, like I remember actually like I would take like especially when I started working from home and like when I was still selling shit, like dude, I would lay in my bed until I got a call, like until an inbound call came in. And like, I would literally, I remember sometimes, sometimes having my eyes closed, but legitimately my eyes closed. I was asleep. I woke up to the sound of the call coming in and I answered and I was instantly in the, in the zone, instantly in the zone. I could literally, I literally could sell shit in my sleep. Literally could sell shit in my sleep. Like I remembered I, I had uh, back in February, we took on two, I think we took on two clients in February. And like, I, I think I made like eight grand in a day or something like when the invoices got paid and it was like total, like an hour work it was two back-to-back -back sales calls. And I woke up 10 minutes before the sales call in Ricardo's apartment in Miami at 3 PM hung over as fuck. And I got on the camera and I sold both deals, not one deal, both deals back-to-back hung over as fuck, no water, didn't take any medicine was sitting there fucked up and it'll make it eight grand in a day because I just know what I'm doing. Right. Like sitting there like, Hey, like, Hey, yeah, here's like, and, and just sell it. Right. Because that's my, that's the second nature to me. I can rip cold calls all day and just sell. And no, if somebody says no, or goes, tell tells me to kick rocks or whatever the fuck it's going to be like, I, I'm not affected by that because it's second nature. Cause I'm used to hearing that. Right. Like who, like, if you walk up to a girl and you start trying to flirt with her and she tells you to kick rocks, like it, it doesn't hurt because you've done it before. Right. The more you create reference experience, the more you have in your pocket to refer back to if shit gets bad, if you, and it's all about building the skill set, right? It's all about building the experience. And once you have the experience and you have the stories, you, you become a more resilient person. And the more resilient you are as an individual, the more stress you can tolerate. And the more stress you can tolerate, the more money you can make and the more complex things that you can do in your life. So keep that in mind.
keep that in mind, guys. I, I genuinely appreciate everyone for listening. Go join Cashflow Syndicate. Sign up to our shit. And Mason, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I just realized I was muted. Yeah, I do have final thoughts. Um, I think that... Um, I, I want to talk to I want to talk to the beginners because this is what we do inside Cashless Syndicate, and this is not a plug for Cashless Syndicate. This is just what context I'm used to when this I'm talking to you. Podcast between me and you. It's absolutely a it's absolutely a plug. Okay, it's a plug, but I I, I love talking to people who are at the beginning of their journey because I just remember having so much fun during that time. And if, if there's any advice I can give to people, um then I'll, I'll do my best to give it. So, and this, this is going off of what we just finished speaking about. When you have never done anything business related a day in your life, you are what we call a blank slate. You have no like grooves that you're set in. You have no um, biases. You are just a newborn baby in the eyes of the business world. Right now, I have things, I have habits that I've formed that, you know, I'm looking to break. Um, I'm actively doing that. Like it's an active, like everyday effort. Um, and, you know, there's some things you wish you could unlearn. But if you're brand new, you've never made a single dollar online or with a business, then what you should do is you should start to make yourself a collage or a quilt of, everybody that you admire online and i'm going to use our names but i'm not saying that you admire us i'm just saying that we may be good examples for some of the things that you want to do i think that if you learn how to speak and sell like d you learn how to write like me you learn how to uh like market yourself as a personal brand like luke does you learn how to inspire like this guy, um, design like this guy, and like just like make yourself a collection of the best things of everyone else and just like try to be a sponge. That's probably one of the best things you can do at this early stage. And that means consuming a lot of content, but also doing a lot and practicing a lot. And you could be a superstar in one year's time, but it's not free. It takes work. And um, it may seem like a lot of work ahead of you, but in hindsight, it's a fucking breeze. That's all. That's what I have to say. Um, one year to be successful for the rest of your life. Isn't that crazy? That's it. Actually, I would argue it takes six months, but... I think that's a great place to end it, my friend. I think that's an incredible place to end it. Go follow Mason. You guys all follow Mason on Twitter. Go follow <laughs> him on TikTok. Follow your TikTok, actually. I genuinely think you're pretty funny on TikTok. Go follow him on TikTok. If you're not inside Cashflow Syndicate and you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to this for the past hour and a half, what do you do? Get inside. Get the yearly option because it's a good discount. You get inside, you start making money, you start changing your life, 
You literally will learn how to speak and sell like me and how to write like Mason, how to market yourself. I don't know what you guys are doing if you're not inside. It's absolutely stupid. And you deserve to fail if you're not inside. But I think it's been an incredible episode, dude. I think we've we've touched a lot. And, you know, I'm, I'm very surprised we didn't do this sooner. But good things come to those who wait. And I think this episode especially, it's, it's a lot different than probably the, what most people are going to hear from me and what most people are going to hear from you. And I'm very excited for this to, to come out and, and really just see how well it's going to be received. So my friend, thank you for coming on. We'll wrap this up here now. Like I said, guys, go join Casual Syndicate. Follow Mason on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and you know, go stalk and like his pictures. But Mace, we'll do another one of these soon, bro. Maybe I'll come on your podcast, but it was incredible having you. And we'll talk soon. Thank yeah, you, brother.